Welcome listeners to the Return Roundup. Today we're going to be having a very macro-heavy focus. So by macro, I mean a macroeconomic focus. There's three of us here today. There's myself, Conrad. There's me, Michael. And last but definitely not least, there's me, Kino. Kino, sure. It's quite a bold claim there, <laughs> last but not least. Um, so today we're going to be taking you through three key key points. So a little bit off topic, NJ, you, you've always been a big fan of uh, salt and vinegar, but sorry yes. for you. Lays has stopped producing salt and vinegar chips, so I'm saying hooray, but you know, I haven't stopped crying. Yeah, yeah, I can see the tears in your I'm eyes. You said many um, letters to, uh, to be included in the AGM so you can put a, a word in there about keeping that product line. Here we go, MJ. MJ is, is salt and vinegar's biggest fan, but sadly, no more. All right, so so now we've got three three topics coming up today. We've got the, the past Iran-USA oil price, hashtag World War Three. We've got the coronavirus. What's that about? What are the effects? MJ is going to be taking you through that. And finally, we've got the rate cuts. Uh, Kino is going to be talking to you about the effect of the emerging market. Bring it home to South Africa, have some macroeconomic perspectives. And then from there, we've got, maybe we'll see if we've got a surprise for you guys at the end. So let's get started. We've been seeing a lot of nervousness around oil prices with Iran, you know. Mm. But the real question is, does Iran have the ability to affect oil prices significantly? The answer to that is no. Iran accounts for only 4% of oil production available worldwide, compared to Saudi Arabia. MJ, give me a guess. What percentage of oil worldwide supply does Saudi Arabia have? Maybe 20%? Exactly. It's a huge wow. percentage. Okay. Yeah. It's not quite 20%, but it's definitely within that range. Mm. Okay. But now, Saudi Arabia and Iran are part of uh, a Middle Eastern oil cartel called OPEC. Okay. Mm. And it has little room to independently increase oil supply to affect oil prices, as seen in 2015 when the USA lifted sanctions. It was a great fear that Iran would increase supply so as to try and get more income, but that never really happened, showing that they didn't really have the ability to. And Conrad, just, just to touch on that, we know Michael will be chatting about the coronavirus a bit later, but um, on the 12th of February, we just had note about OPEC, about OPEC slashing their forecast for global oil demand. Um, this is on the basis of the coronavirus hitting um, China. You know, there's been estimates of production slowing down. And what actually happened is that oil prices sank to a one-year low um, on Monday. So as the infection mania um, left businesses in China, China idle and, you know, more forecasts of production staying low. So that's another um, factor to consider in this, uh, in this oil discussion. No, exactly. And with, with OPEC cutting their supply, it's, it's worthwhile knowing that OPEC accounts for over 30% of the world oil supply. Um, so now that we've spoken about the supply side of oil, Let's have a look at the demand side and see how that's been affected recently. I don't know, MJ or Kina, have you ever seen the series The Last Ship? No, I haven't seen, seen it. No? So it's about, it's about the, a ship in a, in a world where everyone's been infected except for this one ship. That, that sort of reminds me of the Westerdam. You know, so that, it's like a hell made in Noah's Ark. Exactly, exactly. So it, it, it reminds me of the, the Westerdam. You know, everyone thinking, everyone in that area is getting or has the risk of getting infected, but no one wants to let in the Western Dam. There was a tweet coming from, from the, the Western Dam saying that this is a sci-fi plot unfolding right before our eyes. So, MJ, talk me through the coronavirus and how it affects our listeners. So, just a bit of a recap of the virus so far. 
So as we know, the outbreak began in Wuhan at the end of December, and so far it's claimed more than 1,300 lives in China alone. The death toll, last week it hadn't surpassed SARS, this time it had it really, it surpassed the death toll of the SARS virus. Wuhan is still on lockdown, which is affecting more than 50 million people, and the total number of confirmed cases is nearing 50,000 as at early this week. So MJ, when you say lockdown, do you mean production has ceased? Do you mean businesses have shut down? What, what do we mean by lockdown? In that by sense? lockdown, I mean no one can leave okay. or enter the city. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's scary, scary stuff. Yeah. yeah. And some industries affected by this, tying nicely into your cruise ship example, is the cruising industry. So I'm sure you've both heard of those two cruise ships that were quarantined. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. So that's so that um, is quite negatively affected two big industries or two big companies in the cruising industry, Norwegian Cruise Lines and Carnival Corp. So I guess a lot of people, it's just negatively affected sentiment. So a lot of people have, you know, been seen what's happened, been seen people being stranded on ships and, you know, generally a kind of environment on a cruise ship, it can lead to the virus spreading quite rapidly. It's like an incubate. It's a virus yeah, incubate. Exactly, exactly. So this has pretty negatively affected the cruise industry. Um, but on a more macro scale, so China makes up almost 20% of global GDP. And if there's a slowdown in China, you can be very sure that there's going to be a global slowdown. Knock on fix it, especially in the emerging market space. Yeah. And a lot of, a lot of economies around the world are reliant on China for their intermediate goods used in production. We're by intermediate good, NJ, do you just want to clarify that for me, please? So basically intermediate goods, the goods used in the production process. So not your final goods. That could be your kind of your materials or your... Um... So if we talk about it practically, for phone is a final good or kind of intermediate yeah. good would be a, a component inside phone. Exactly. Yeah, a microchip. So it's yeah. not a semiconductor, a microchip. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's something that's used to make the final good, but it's not that's its original right. component like iron or aluminium yeah. or anything. And it's not the end consumer product either. Yes, yes. Okay. that's right. And with, you know, many of these events of global uncertainty, investors, they tend to look at the non-traditional alternative forms of investment. So... What investors like to refer to these forms of investments are safe haven investments. So another time when investors could turn to them or did turn to them rather was during the global financial crisis and many other financial crises. Can you give me an example of a safe haven, MJ? So gold, mm -hmm. copper, those are two great examples. A more contested one is Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So some believe that Bitcoin is a safe haven asset as the Bitcoin price has been rallying quite a bit recently. However, it should be noted though that this rally started quite a while before the coronavirus outbreak began. So it might not necessarily be linked to the coronavirus. No, no. And I think we'll have a discussion of this at a later time, but I would say when it comes to safe haven assets, the reason why we can't compare something like gold to something like Bitcoin is that gold has actual physical value as a precious metal. So the reason mm -hmm. why historically gold has been the safe haven asset is that there's a, a, a intrinsic value tied to something being as rare as gold, um, mm. as shiny as gold, <laughs> as you would say, and, and, and it's always had, it's always held that, um, that, that value. When it comes to um, Bitcoin, there's no real intrinsic value that if basically the narrative is if, if the financial system crumbles, the value of gold will still maintain because of its rarity. Yeah. Um, so, for example, if the infrastructure behind um, Bitcoin crumbles, um, it'll lose its value because it won't be able to um, impose, Yeah, it won't be able to transact anymore. Yeah. So that's just a little, a little insight there. Well, thanks, right. thanks, Gina. And then bringing it back home to the JSE. So, the JSE has been recovering relatively well since um, the whole coronavirus outbreak including Naspers, which of course owns quite a large stake in Tencent, which is a Chinese company. And um, unfortunately though, 
this whole coronavirus outbreak has affected the, um, the South African construction industry. So a lot of South African um, contractors are reliant on China and the Far East for intermediate goods, as we said earlier, and also just materials used in the production process. So this has led to many of their contracts being delayed. And a lot of the time, the contractors themselves are going to be incurring these costs of delay. So a lot of them have had to restructure their contracts. Just something interesting, uh, Michael, you mentioned Tencent. Really recent on Bloomberg editorial, um, a large portion of, of Tencent's value is in the mobile game industry and the, and the video game industry. Mm-hmm. But a recent Bloomberg intelligence analyst has been saying is that um, Tencent may be one of the few um, Chinese companies not affected by the coronavirus because people are going to be at home sick and they're going to be playing video games on their phones, which yeah. is a massive part of Tencent's portfolio. And they're going to be playing video games on their computer, um, which is a massive part of, of, of Tencent's portfolio. It goes back to what MJ was saying, the people are on lockdown. So they, they have to almost find ways to spend they're their time. To, yeah. exactly, exactly. And a good thing for the South African, from a South African perspective, is that Tencent has a, is part of the process. Uh, which is largely owned by Naspers, a South African company. Yeah, yeah so Naspers owns 31% of, of Tencent and mm-hmm. um, process is contained. Um, Tencent is contained in Processes um, Umbrella Portfolio, which is the wholly owned subsidiary of, of Naspers. Yeah, so subsidiary, we mean a, a division of almost. Yeah. Yeah, so, so Tencent's a division of. Owning a portion of this, of this smaller company. So exactly, exactly. But what's important to know in this, which is a really unique situation, is that both NASPERS and um, Process are listed, listed on South African JC, yes. which, is, which is something interesting. That's, it's true. definitely not, not the norm yeah. for, for most companies. So Kino, you've got something to say on the back to the South African market, but yes, not so, really on the equity side, but more the bond side. So I'm just going to talk about general macro. And then just um, tacking on what MJ said about uh, when it comes to the coronavirus, um, I'll be talking a bit about emerging markets macro, and then I'll throw down into the African macro and end with the rate cut. So um, when it comes to the coronavirus, there's been a lot of fears in, in the past week before there was a lot of information about it, and that has really hampered sentiment. So um, February 7th, we actually saw an inflow of 122.4 trillion assets back into riskier assets, specifically emerging market ETFs. This compares with the previous week where there was a 2.52 billion outflow in these same assets. Um, This was kind of when it was the height of the coronavirus and of investors kind of scrambling and just, you know, taking out their money from these very risky assets. Mm. Um, It's back into the safe haven and, you know, more certain economy, developed economies. The markets definitely want certainty and this this uncertainty around the the coronavirus definitely brings brings the jitters. And so any time there's uncertainty, the emerging markets suffer because there's, there's higher risk in the emerging markets, but people invest there looking for higher returns. Exactly, exactly. And then just um, expanding on that, last just yesterday, the Mexican central bank cut rates by 25 basis points. To by, by yesterday, you mean uh, the, the 13th of February? The 13th of February. Yes. Mexico um, central bank cut rates to 7%, which is now a three-year low. When I say 25 basis points, the basis point is basically 0.001%. Um, what this... Mexican central bank rate cut follows is a wave of kind of emerging markets following an, an easing policy. We've just seen in the previous year, China, Thailand, Philippines, and Brazil um, reducing the borrowing costs. You know, sorry to stop you there. What do you mean by an easing policy? So by easing, basically, we mean that um, rates have been cut. Okay. Um, the kind of jargon we use is, is easy monetary policy. The, when we look at it as a, as a kind of basic level, the reason why rates are cut is that um, they want to stimulate economic activity. Basically, if the borrowing costs are lower, um, big corporations can borrow more money. They can mm. use that to invest in their in the companies and make investments um, 
on goods that can help them increase production. At the same token, consumers can borrow more money. So um, it's kind it's of more yeah. If you if you wanna you know, it's kind of um easing economic conditions. Yeah, um, so it's cheaper. It's cheaper easier. for the, the consumer to borrow money. Exactly. They have to pay back less at the end of the day. Money. Um, and what's interesting is that we see that um, central banks are now going to opposite directions where the um, the Fed has famously said that the monetary policy will remain unchanged over the next few months. So there won't be any more rate adjustments from the Fed in the next few months. But in contrast, as we've just mentioned, emerging markets have just been cutting rates and cutting rates. And, and that shows a positive outlook going forward uh, because rate cuts happen when um, kind of the central banks want to stimulate economic um, activity and then and that's a positive that's a positive forward looking thing tying that back to South Africa we saw in January that South Africa actually had a surprise um, rate cut and that kind of ties in with the rest of the central banks um, if you want to specifically look at the factors that contributed to that the big thing was inflation guys so um, what happened is that we saw um, in the past South Africa had a, a um, regime where they wanted to stabilize inflation at the upper 6% target, right? But now what we've switched to is that when we want to stabilize inflation at the midpoint between 3 and 6%, which is mean that we, we, we're targeting that kind of 4%. Um, and what we've seen is that um, inflation has had, as you know, it's been below everybody's estimates for um, late 2019. And um, that's the main factor that that has led to, the, led to this. Why, why would you say that inflation has been low? Because inflation is often linked to demand. Exactly. So if there's exactly. subdued demand. Exactly. Then, then... So um, as, as Conrad said, the main factor behind inflation is consumer demand and consumer spending money. So while um, subdued inflation is a good thing and, and it's led to this rate cut, the core factor behind is that, is that we have weak um, economic growth in South Africa. Consumers mm -hmm. haven't been spending, so we just haven't seen inflation. So it's kind of a double-edged sword that it's a small positive going forward. That rate cut is obviously going to stimulate some um, economic activity. But um, the reason behind inflation being low is kind of that um, muted consumer demand for goods. Exactly. So, so, the South African consumers are struggling. And, you know, it doesn't help with, with ESCOM having load shedding back. And, you know, they, they say they've got a schedule, but, you know, every every week, you know, they, they, they don't stick to their schedule. I don't even know if ESCOM knows they have a schedule. Yeah. Maybe we should send them an email. And, you know, when, you, when you're sending Lays or salt and vinegar email, maybe yeah. send one to ESCOM as well. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and if you just um, tie that back in, um, these power outages from ESCOM have been a very commonly cited um, negative macro factor by many economists and many analysts. Um, you know, low levels of electricity supply have continued to be a, a, a scourge on the economy and, and it has affected production a lot, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm just coming back to inflation, just, just to, let, let's just give you the numbers when it comes to that. Um, I mentioned that kind of three to four to, to six percent range and I was targeting the four percent. Um, inflation was consistently below that four percent um, in 2019, but in December it accelerated to um, four percent, which is basically right on bang, right on target by the SOM, which is probably one of the um, indicators that the Reserve Bank uh, used to, to. It's been a great chat today, guys. Uh, so today we, we've spoken about three key things, not not including the lace, salt and vinegar. <laughs> Sorry to bring it up so much, but you know, some of us are quite disappointed in mm. sitting here busy, yeah. busy trying to keep, keep his tissues close by. Uh, so we, we've had three key points, the Iran, USA sanctions. The key takeaway from there is that Iran doesn't really have the ability to affect the oil price. But as we spoke, spoke earlier in the, in the podcast, it did raise uncertainty, which definitely is probably one of the drivers behind why there was such a big movement in the oil price. Mm -hmm. 
And we're going to see that that effect of the, the downward trend in the oil price in South Africa, maybe through through the petrol price channel. Mm-hmm. So keep, keep your eyes peeled for that. And then we talked a bit about how the coronavirus, how it continued to spread globally and how this has had effect on not only China's economy, but the world economies and including even our own economy and construction industry. And then we kind of tied that back into emerging market macro, where we looked at the kind of um, central bank policy following an easing regime, which a lot of emerging market economies follow, where we just saw Mexico cut rates to a three-year low. And we kind of brought that back to South African macro and chatted a bit about our recent rate cut and just chatted a bit about inflation, um, consumer demand and the drivers behind inflation. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks for, for joining joining us today. Thanks. We hope you have a great week ahead. I mean, we hope you don't miss those salted vinegar chips too much, but I would say good riddance. <laughs> wow. Ooh, there's going to be arguments here now. <laughs>